Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert podcast. I'm your host, James Huang, and after last week's spotlight on plastic bags and cycling clothing, we are back with the regular show for the first week of March 2021. We're mixing our standard crew up a little for this episode, though. As usual, we have Cycling Tips Editor-in-Chief Kaylee Fritz. Hello. Our resident pro mechanic, Zach Edwards, has apparently decided that he's done with this whole wrenching thing and has instead embarked on a career panning for gold in, in California. I don't know how that's going. It's going really well. It's going really well. He, he found a 27-pound a gold nugget over the weekend, and he's retiring already. Excellent. So we may, we may be done with him entirely. <laughs> well, fellow tech editor Dave Rome is also off on holiday this week expanding his horizons and learning how to ride mountain bikes and derby. So in Dave's place today, we have the newest member of the Cycling Tips tech crew, Ronan McLaughlin. Ronan, welcome to Nerd Alert. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, this being the first week of March, I would say, and us being all in the Northern Hemisphere, it is finally becoming to get, <laughs> it's starting to feel like spring. Kayla, you and I were just riding separately here in Boulder, but you and I were just riding outside and it is glorious today. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it was, it was not, it's not quite, you know, shorts weather, shorts leaves weather yet, but it was, you know, it was no gloves weather for the first time in a very long time. So I'm, I'm, I feel like it's around the corner. Uh, and frankly, given pandemic times, I feel like the, the sort of warm weather is particularly nice because you can go hang out in the park. You can be outside with your, with your friends from, from a distance. And that's, I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait. Uh, and I will also add that in addition to it being very nice and spring-like here, my kid got dropped off to school today, in-person school, for the first time in nearly a year. Hallelujah. That's very exciting. It's super exciting. <laughs> All right. Enough babbling. We should get into some tech news because as of this morning, we had a bit of a, uh, I guess, a, a bit of an incident this morning at a race in Belgium. Uh, so first and foremost, so this involves Canyon's new Air Road Aero Road Bike, which is unfortunately off to a bit of a bumpy start out of the gate. Uh, but Kaylee, what did we see this morning with Matthew Vanderpool? So the race was Le Semen, which is sort of in the Walloon region of Belgium. And it's kind of like a mini Paris-Roubaix. It's got quite some quite gnarly uh, cobble sectors, including a, a pretty bad one right before the finish, which is actually where this incident ended up happening. Uh, Ronan, have you ever done this race? You must have done this race at some point. Well, I was going to just say that one of the most notable additions of this race was, I think, 2012, when I finished one place ahead of a certain Sam Bennett in <laughs> 90th and, and 91st position in this race. So, Did you sprint him at the end? Did you sprint him? Most <laughs> Not sure if he sprinted as well, but I definitely mm, sprinted. Okay. Maybe, maybe like give a little bit of a shoulder bump too, just to make sure put him in his yeah. place a little bit. So as Ronan knows, there's a there's a pretty nasty little cobble sector shortly before the finish line of this particular race, and uh, Matthew Vanderbilt had been quite active throughout the race. He, he appeared to mostly be working for his teammates, and in fact, one of his teammates uh, did end up winning at the end. But what happened with about well somewhere between sort of four and two kilometers to go, not exactly sure when a piece of his handlebar fell off. And that's not generally what you want to happen to your handlebars. You would like them to stay in one piece almost always. Uh, there was some speculation in the immediate aftermath that this was the result of, or was caused by, uh, Canyon's somewhat unique multi-piece handlebar system that comes on the new Air Road. Uh, but, well... After taking a closer look at some of the photos and videos and things like that, James, you really, you really have, have determined that that's probably not well, not probably, definitely not the case because it didn't break in the right spot. And further, it was probably something to do with either like overclamping of the of the lever clamp or an impact that a previous impact that we didn't know about. Long story short, it broke right where that where the hood clamps onto the handlebar. And everything below that uh, is now in a field in Wallonia somewhere. <laughs> so since since that article posted, um, some some other information, some other video clips did pop up via Twitter, of course, where seemingly everything comes from right now. Um, but uh, I think 
I think the incident happened inside 2K to go because at about, I think it was 1.4 or 1.5K to go, um, you can see uh, Vanderpoel actually tossing the broken piece of bar off to the side of the road. So someone got a nice little souvenir. Um, but anyway, yes, yeah, so his, you know, normally if you have a, a broken handlebar, say in a crash or something like that, I mean, typically what happens is, you know, the, the drop will break off kind of like above where the lever attaches. That seems to be where, where a carbon handlebar is most likely to fail. Um, and this one was quite unusual because he crossed the finish line with his, his right lever sort of just dangling by the brake hose and the wire. And there was no bottom of the handlebar. Like there was nothing attached to that lever, which is very strange. He also seemed completely unconcerned by this. We should mention. <laughs> he, did. Like, he, he, he basically let out the just, sprint, essentially. He he pulled a lead out anyway. He's like, I have another break. I only need one of them, <laughs> and I have the top, and it's fine. Like, what are the chances my bar broke once? What are the chances the other part falls off? <laughs> yes, yes. I think it's, yeah. So he, he was, like, completely unconcerned. He just, he, there's, there's a photo of him crossing the line behind the peloton because his teammate won. Like, you know, hand in the air. Yeah, I won the race. Not hand in the air because he has no handlebar. Hand in the air because he's just Right, stoked. it was his other hand so in I, the air. I, yeah, it was the other hand in the air. So I, I just thought that that was kind of a funny juxtaposition. Like, if I, personally, if half of my handlebar fell off, I would probably stop riding my bicycle. You would probably be on the ground. Quickly. I would probably fall down, actually, and probably wouldn't have any choice. But he just didn't—he just didn't even care. It's like, I don't know. He just, yeah. Either that, or he's used to it. Oh, (laughs) we we hope not. (laughs) Anyway, so I think that. So yes, this handlebar does have this kind of novel setup where you can adjust the width. Uh, it's a it's a three piece setup. You have like sort of like the center like like hammerhead section, and then you have um, this extension off the, the the top of the drops where they sort of like slide in, and then uh, the two bolts on either side come in from the bottom and secure everything together. Um, so there, initially there was some speculation like, oh my god, his his arrowed handlebar fell apart. You know that people have been wanting people have been wanting to to have this design fail since since it was introduced because. A whole bunch of people are like, oh, this is dumb. It's going to fall apart, whatever. So, yes, his handlebar did break, but it didn't break there. Um, now, when I was looking at some some more photos in detail, you know, we don't know exactly what caused this, keep in mind. Um, but you can see a pretty good indentation in the front of the bar where the lever was clamped at some point. And, uh, I mean, it, it's not uncommon for team mechanics at cobbled races to kind of over tighten everything with the with the thought being that they just don't want anything to come loose and if anyone listening has actually ridden ridden you know real cobbles in that area i mean they're pretty brutal i mean it's basically like taking a jackhammer to the front of your bike yeah these aren't quite you know car for labra but they're, they're they're much nastier than for example tour of flanders cobbles which are pretty smooth comparatively smooth yeah, yeah. so it, it was Plus, it's at the end of the race. There's some there's some heavy impacts happening for sure. So yeah, so I mean, so I mean, I I speculated that um, I mean it is certainly possible that a team mechanic maybe over tightened this clamp. Um, it is also possible that this bike was previously damaged in a crash that we don't know about exactly. We don't know the exact history of this exact bike that he was on. Um, Ronan, as you mentioned before. Um, you know, Vanderpol was at the UAE tour, so you know something could have happened in transit from there. We don't exactly know, um, but it, it doesn't strike me as being an inherent design failure. Um, you know, the the one area where it maybe could be design related. I mean, a lot of carbon handlebars typically, you know, while they are one piece, they're often molded as three pieces, uh, where the drops are kind of overlapped. And a lot of times, intentionally, that overlap is placed where the levers are clamped. So you have a little bit more material. So the, the, the bar kind of just has more reinforcement there. And with how this bar is constructed, you know, you're not going to have that overlap there. I don't know what the inside of that bar looks like. I haven't cut it apart. Um, I will say, however, that Canyon does use a custom, uh, a custom clamp for that lever, uh, which Shimano is fairly explicit in saying that they don't recommend using a different clamp. However, where that bar, um, the, the drops of that bar are not 
entirely round, like it's not like a totally just conventional shape. So Canyon has to use a, a different clamp. Um, and actually, we have heard from our resident pro mechanic, Zach Edwards, uh, while he's taking a break panning for gold, that um, he apparently has had a customer with one of these broken clamps already who has an arrowed. And it's a yeah, in, in his opinion, it's a pretty thin looking aluminum clamp. Um, but again, I mean, this the clamp itself did not fail. It was the bar. So I can't help but wonder if the clamp somehow had something to do with how the bar failed. It's hard to say. Lots of questions here. We don't really know. Uh, and we probably won't because, frankly, you know, the, the mechanics are going to go back and take a very close look at this, but they're not going to tell us. <laughs> so... Canyon might tell us if it's someone else's fault. They might be happy to, to to share that news. But as of as of right now, we have do not have any official word from those on the ground or from anybody involved right now. So my guess is that we are probably not going to either. One sort of key thing within any kind of failure analysis is that you need to have all the broken pieces and Pretty clearly, we don't have all the broken pieces here. Um, and I think it's safe to say that they're not going to get those broken pieces back. And even if they did, I mean, they were probably rubbing together or ground down or otherwise kind of mangled to the point where you might not be able to tell anything anyway. So at this point, it's probably all speculation as to exactly what happened. It is indeed. Otherwise, though, you know, while that particular failure may not be related to the design of that handlebar, Canyon is unfortunately having an issue with the back end of that bike, specifically the seat post. Um, so one of the things that Canyon did on this bike, I mean, yes, they did make it more aero, but they uh, they also introduced a little bit more comfort into the back end, uh, well, or at least the same amount of comfort, any, comfort as the old bike anyway, despite the fact that the seat post is deeper because the seat post has kind of like this like dual chamber design to it where you sort of have like this pretty shallow section d-shaped seat post up front and then effectively what you have is like you sort of have like this kind of like long tail i'm just going to go ahead and call it a fairing behind it and the clamp is pretty far down in the frame and the theory is that the that shallow section d-shaped portion of the seat post up front is really the structural part and because the back end is so thin the seat post can kind of flex underneath the rider as you're riding so that the bike's more comfortable. And having ridden the bike, the bike is surprisingly comfortable considering how deep all those tube sections are. However, we have seen plenty of bikes where the comfort was engineered into the seat post. In this case, because the flex is starting below the top of the frame, the seat post is gonna move back and forth inside the frame a little bit. And whereas, whereas Specialized has done this before on the old Diverge, Specialized included some a pretty big gap and a big rubber cover at the top of the seat tube so that the seat post can, can be free to move back and forth. Canyon didn't do that, however, and I'm, I apologize to everyone who read that review because I clearly missed that when I wrote all this. Um, but Canyon did not incorporate any space in there. And what a lot of owners are finding now is that the back of their seat posts are basically wearing away inside the frame, which is a problem. Not good, not great, yeah. So I did reach out to Canyon for a statement on this, and um, the official statement is vague. Uh, I'll just go ahead and read this. Um, this came from their uh, global communications manager, Torsten Lewandowski. Uh, he said, our latest generation Canyon Air Road launched in the fall of 2020 is one of the most technically complex developments in the entire Canyon portfolio. Among other features, it has a seat post that allows a higher flex through its newly developed clamp design. This means higher seating comfort even on demanding rough parkours. However, current market observations have shown that dirt entering the seat post and the use of assembly paste instead of grease in this area can lead to increased abrasion between the seat post and the seat tube. This is not a safety relevant aspect, but does not meet the high expectations that we at Canyon and also our customers have of the quality of our bikes. Um, statement goes on a little bit longer uh but ultimately canyon basically said that they are working on a solution but they don't have one yet uh it says as of mm. let's see bikes of customers who have already ordered an aeroid will also be equipped with the planned improvement action as this will still take some time there will unfortunately unfortunately also be delays in delivery we will keep all customers informed about any news on a regular basis so basically if you've already got one make sure that you're using uh grease instead of carbon paste first and foremost and then 
beyond that, whatever the fix is that they come up with, hopefully he is sort of available aftermarket, I would I would hope. Um, maybe it's a little like rubber cover to keep dirt out or something like that. TBD? That's sort of conflicting though with what Canyon originally recommended for the seat post and that they had originally said that the, the lower portion of the seat post should be, should have paste applied to it and then the upper fairing part should have grease uh, and there is some conspiracies going around about edited videos and manuals and that on online that have the the paste part removed but some air road users are quite adamant that the initial uh, guidance was definitely to use paste on the lower half of the or the lower it's not a full half but the lower portion of the well seat i mean the, the lower portion of the seat post is not the issue though because that lower portion is not what is grinding away it's the it's the the portion of the portion of the back of the seat post just below the level of the frame, and that is what's wearing away. And and that, I mean, really, you shouldn't need any carbon paste there because you know that part's not really involved in any clamping. Um, so I guess technically, even if that's what Canyon said initially, like it certainly isn't necessarily super obvious that you should not put carbon paste there. Um, Either way, I mean, even if you put grease there, I mean, you know, one of the things I noted when I reviewed that bike is they, they, there is no there is no rubber cover or anything in that area. So even if you put grease there, if you go on a wet ride or you have a ride where there's, you know, it's a, it's dusty or whatever, there's going to be a bunch of stuff getting shot off the back wheel and it's going to end up in that area. So unless there's a cover for that, even if you have grease there, you're going to get some grit in there. And when you get grit in there, if that seat post is moving back and forth, it is going to wear. But it's not a safety issue, right? I mean, like fundamentally, I mean, I, I would assume that, you know, Canyon's going to come up with a solution here, hopefully send people new seat posts if they're having an issue with that, if they're having, if, if it's already worn. I would, right? I would imagine because according to Canyon, I mean, essentially the back end of the seat post is not entirely, I mean, it's sort of structural, but you know, the seat post isn't going to just like collapse underneath you if, if that wears through even, I think. Um, because again, the, the back half of that, or I guess the back two thirds even of that seat post are, the walls are quite thin. Like you, you can always kind of squish them with your fingers. Um, and it's really the, the forward third of the seat post, which is providing pretty much most, if not all of the structural support. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can kind of buy their assertion that it's not a safety issue, but I personally wouldn't necessarily feel super good about a hole being rubbed through my seat post but um i mean i i'm really interested to see what canyon does here for a fix because personally i feel like they're going to have to adopt some sort of system similar to what specialized used to do on the uh, i think it was the diverge and the roubaix uh, where they had that little bit of gap up top and a rubber cover um, I just don't really see how this is going to work long-term without that, given what we're seeing in the field now. Should we leave poor Canyon alone? They've had a rough We are day. going to leave poor Canyon alone because it, I mean, it's kind <laughs> of a bummer because otherwise, I mean, that bike is honestly really cool. I mean, I really like that bike. Um, you know, you know what this reinforces for me is how hard it is to design a good bicycle. There's like, there's lots of little things here. Let's just say if I was designing bicycles, nothing would work. <laughs> no, no, no. there yes. would be handlebars would break all the time you know seat posts would make noise bottom brackets would be sideways it would just be bad so i you know kudos to the bike brands out there that are able to make bicycles that function it, they're surprisingly complicated machines yes indeed. Uh, at the end of the day because because they are so you know they're so high tolerance and and things like that uh speaking spoken as a as a complete non-engineer here but i'm I am routinely impressed that we don't run into these issues more often, honestly. And believe me, when I'm testing a bunch of different bikes uh, all over the place, th that thought does go through my head a lot. Like, how well was this bike designed and engineered? And I tried, I tried not to think about that too much because otherwise, I'm just not going to ride anything. Anyway, we will, we will uh, keep. Well, we'll make sure to keep on top of this whole thing, and we'll see what happens. So, in the meantime, moving on. Because speaking of seat post flex, it seems that Specialized has some patent paperwork filed for a uh, a really weird, a, a really super super weird flexi seat post design. Um, yeah, can, can I? I'm, I'm going to interject here because, okay, so this story we ran a story on this, and then the, this story ended up in a couple other places as well. 
and different places were calling this thing uh well basically defining it in very different ways some were calling it basically a full suspension bike like road bike and some well we were calling it more of a well seat post thing not a full suspension road bike basically what what exactly is this what i'm so confused i granted i mostly trust dave rome and his story versus everyone else's stories but still i'm i need an explanation well i mean i should say that there's a couple of different patents so i mean it, some of these articles may actually be writing about two different specialized patents because the one that we are talking about the one that dave rome wrote uh the one that dave rome wrote about um is arguably a little bit more conventional i mean bike designers have for a long time been turning to seat post flex as a way to increase bike comfort especially uh, out back which is smart because i mean it's it's a non-triangulated part of the bike i mean you, there's a lot of flex available there um and so we've seen stuff like you know seat post clamps that are like tucked down into the frame dropped top tubes and you know really short seat tubes stuff like that i mean all of that stuff is designed to to get a lot more seat post extension um, you know, flattened seat post backsides to get more flex. I mean, all that stuff is basically just meant to let the seat post flex more. Um, so what I was talking about earlier with it, the older specialized designs where they had clamped the seat post, you know, I can't remember, like 10 centimeters or something below the top of the top tube. This new patent that Dave wrote about, the clamp is actually, the seat post is super long, first of all, and the clamp is basically down by like where you'd have a front derailleur clamp. Like it's crazy. It's super, super far down there. And then you have all this space on the back of the seat tube. And to help control that movement, you have sort of like this little mini damper that is attached to the seat post and sort of like tucked into the top tube. Um, and in this way, essentially what we have is specialized attempting to make a rear end analog to their future shock suspension fork design up front it's weird i don't know if this will ever see the light of day but it's strange that is worth noting that a lot of these things get filed and they're never going to make them for 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 numerous reasons, maybe it's because that you know the the manufacturing is just way too complicated and and it'll never actually happen. Maybe it's because it doesn't actually work that well. It is it's worth noting that a lot of the times a lot of times it, patents will just get filed just so that nobody else can do it or nobody else can use the the, the idea or riff off the idea. Uh, this one seems like one we probably won't see in the in the version that we're seeing in the patent. I would say it seems. Just too complicated for what's essentially additional rear end flex, right? Yeah, and well, and what's especially interesting is, I mean, having having come up mountain biking in sort of the late '80s, early '90s, there was always this debate back then of you know, do you suspend the bike or do you suspend the rider? Um, and with the latest generations of Future Shock, or actually, I guess you know, all the generations of Future Shock that that Specialized has used on its drop bar bikes. Specialized is clearly adopting the suspend the rider philosophy, um, and this weird seat post design is is another iteration of that. Um, the other patent that is kind of similar, um, and I, I would give a shout out to uh, the person who runs a website called Wheel Based. Um, it's kind of a neat Instagram account too, but. Um, he also found this patent from Specialized that has like this weird eccentric link thing all the way down in the bottom bracket and the whole seat post essentially like slides up and down. It's almost like this crazy telescoping seat post thing. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't just use a suspension seat post at that point. Um, I mean, there are, are things, you know, Cane Creek just released their second generation e-silk. Uh, Redshift has a pretty neat suspension seat post. And, you know, this another one from from Cirrus Cycles, uh, the Connect seat post. I mean, there's, there's all these kind of neat interesting options that are out there they don't look quite as integrated but they do work that's I, I yeah i think that's worth reiterating is that particularly for the kind of gravel space where you want something that's very simple and very light and probably not sort of full suspension basically uh there's very few instances i think in which true full suspension is is beneficial on gravel but a bit of suspension out of the seat post i i like that this is coming back you know there was there was kind of a reason these things were popular in the early days of mountain biking before full suspension designs had kind of come far enough uh, and were were good enough to provide real benefit because they just they do just work they just make your ride more comfortable and i think that you know there, there's kind of they, they get kind of a bad rap because they did they did go the way of the dodo for the most part when 
full suspension really came in, into its own. But this is a perfect application for them. And I think people need to kind of rethink whether they, whether they want to run a, a suspension seat post of some sort. The only concern I ever have looking at them is, although I like the idea, is just how much impact it's going to have on my seat saddle position and my saddle height or, or fore and aft even. And um, I know some are better than others and, and this specialized design certainly doesn't look like it would have a, a huge impact, but it's still going to have, you know, I think four to five millimeters. And for me, I, I feel when I wear thicker socks, it impacts my saddle height. So uh, I'm not sure suspension seat post would ever work for me coming from the perspective of the guy who knocked contour off the everesting title <laughs> i mean i will say that I, i'm the same way on my road bike like i i have to play with my saddle every time i switch shoes, yeah on the for on example. the road bike even, for sure on the road bike even like even just a millimeter or two drives me up the wall on my road bike and i can definitely feel it however on a gravel bike you just move around more it's kind of like a mountain bike right like on a mountain bike i'm generally much less concerned about where my saddle is because i'm a moving all over on the saddle itself i'm in and out of the saddle all the time it's a much less static kind of position so i I do think that the gravel world is different a a bit of extra movement in saddle height is not as big a deal in the gravel space and most of the good ones do a pretty good job of kind of keeping you at the same level until you actually hit something. So they're not, they don't tend, if they're set up right in particular, they're not going to bob too much with just regular pedal action. So I, I yeah, I, I would caution that just because you're uh, picky on a road, on the road bike doesn't mean you'd necessarily be as picky on, on the type of gravel ride that you went actually want a suspension seat. Post. Yeah. And, and this specialized patent that we're talking about, I mean, it, I think it's worth noting that, I mean, the seat post, there would be a fair bit of flex in the seat post, but a lot of it would, it would, the difference in point to point saddle height wouldn't really be that different because a lot of the flex, a lot of the flex would sort of be like down and back sort of. Um, so it would sort of almost just be like curving as opposed to just completely squishing. I mean, that the, the second patent that I was talking about, there'd be a lot more of that. Um, but if I remember correctly, the crank set is also attached to the seat post in that sense, like that whole unit would move up and down, which is which would take care of the saddle height issue, but it just makes it much more complicated. Um, but either way, I mean, whether either of these things ever see the light of day, it's very apparent that companies are putting in a lot of effort to incorporate a lot more comfort and, you know, quote unquote compliance into drop bar gravel or all road bikes, because, you know, you no longer have a situation where a few millimeters of cushioning in a tire is enough. I mean, when you're talking about gravel, you, you mean, certainly depending on the different types of gravel, it's just a much rougher ride. And if you can smooth things out, it does make things more comfortable, but it also makes the bikes faster and it makes you feel better and you just feel less beat up at the end of a ride. So I think it's cool that companies are looking at this. Again, I don't know what of these is ever going to see the light of day, um, but I think this is clearly an area that companies are going to continue to invest in as we move forward. But it's going to take some convincing of the general public, I think. It is. It is for sure, and at, at least for me, I mean, I don't, I, I personally don't like having that level of complication in in a gravel bike. I mean, one of the reasons why I like them is because they're relatively simple, um, and you know, having tried a whole bunch of suspension seat posts at this point, I am sufficiently happy with them that I don't necessarily, I don't know if I'd want all that dedicated into the frame with a bunch of moving parts. Um, I guess one exception is maybe that Trek ISO speed system where you kind of have that pivot up at the at the top tube seat tube junction um, because that is pretty simple. There's not a ton of parts and it does work really surprisingly well. Um, and, you know, it's a pretty minimal amount of moving parts. It does still rely, it, it basically relies on how the frame flexes anyway, but it just allows it to flex more because you're putting a physical pivot at that location. So yeah, no dampers, no like you know, it's not a huge amount of extra weight or anything, and you know that that part I can get behind. Keep an eye on it. Like I said, I like the I like the general concept. I think people should open their open their uh, their eyes to the possibilities here. Don't just don't don't just shun it immediately. I think yeah, that just some of these be, things are pretty cool. Be open to it. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I feel like a whole lot of people can get behind, however, um, the bacon. Well, yes, bacon Brownies. or bacon bread. Bacon bread. Oh, 
There's, bacon there's brownies so right good. I'm just sitting here waiting until this podcast is over to eat brownies that are sitting right next to me. Oh, but excellent. No one wants to hear me chew them. And Kaylee, seeing as how you have a bike to hand off to me tomorrow, I expect a brownie to come with that bike. We could figure that out. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> anyway, so power meter company Favero, they already have their Asioma pedals, uh, a, a dual sided power meter pedal. It's based around the Lokeo platform. Uh, Ronan, you uncovered something that is going to be a pretty cool development for people who are fans of that power meter system, but maybe prefer Shimano SPD SL pedals. So what are we looking at here? Yeah, well, um, I don't think I can say I uncovered it, but yeah, I, I wrote, a, wrote a story about it. And yeah, it, it, it appears that um, Favero are currently producing or currently working towards uh, a, a spindle version of their Asioma Duo parameter that will be compatible with Shimano platforms, uh, SPD-SL platforms from what we can make out. You've completely caught me off guard because I didn't expect this one to come up in the podcast. I put so, it in the show notes. Uh, what are you talking about? Did you not read them? I did read this. It's not in the show notes I have. Yes, it is. Just it on is. Slack? It's in, it's, it's in the show notes I put on Slack. It's right there. Oh yeah. Up, oh, see, see. see? Yeah. But right, <laughs> right between intro and uh, specialized, it says tech news for various yes, amount of indeed. There you go. We're just we're just pulling back the curtain for listeners of Nerd Alert here. <laughs> this is we're not Abby, we're not we, nearly as polished as people may think we are. Abby, leave this stuff in. We need people need to know. <laughs> people need to know. Take this stuff out. <laughs> anyway, anyway, tell us about these things, Ronan. So yeah, it, it appears as if uh, Favero are working on a Shimano pedal platform compatible spindle uh, for their Asiomo Duo uh, parameter, which I think uh, quite a lot of people will agree a Shimano Shimano based parameter uh, pedal is really what we all have been waiting for for a long time. I know certainly as big a fan as I am of the Asiomos. It took me a while to jump across them just because I, I like the Shimano platform. Um, and, you know, I, I did search around at the time looking for a Shimano platform uh, parameter. It doesn't exist. exist. And this looks like, yeah, and this looks like it, it might make it possible and hopefully in, in the near future. It's actually quite smart, but it appears that uh, Favero have done and that, yeah, they were unlikely to ever be able to come to a licensing agreement with Shimano to use uh, the Shimano platform. So instead they've created the spindle and said over to you guys, as in us, the, the pedal users, to uh, find our Shimano pedal bodies and, and add them to their spindles. Yeah, so one thing to make very clear here, uh, whereas Look seems more than happy to license their KL platform design to any number of different third-party manufacturers that are out there. Um, the reason why Shimano SL pedals, uh, sh the reason why Shimano SPD SL road pedals have only ever been branded Shimano is because uh, Shimano hasn't licensed the design to anybody. Um, they're very happy to just leave it under their own umbrella. They don't want anyone else, you know, pushing the system at all, as good as it is. Uh, I mean, Shimano, I think, I, th I think it's comfortable to say, or I think it's safe to say has quite a comfortable road pedal business going. Um, and Favero is not going to um, really have any impact on that from Shimano's standpoint, because instead of offering a complete pedal, uh, instead of offering a complete power meter pedal that is compatible with SPD SL, Favero is basically going to require you, if, if what we are speculating is true anyway, um, Favero is basically going to require you to take apart an existing Shimano SPD SL pedal uh, pull the stock spindle assembly out and then drop in the Favero uh, parameter spindle assembly. Um, so it looks like it will not work with Dura Ace because there's not going to be enough room for that little parameter pod in there. It looks like it probably will work for Altegra and 105. We're guessing. We, again, we don't really completely we don't have complete details of this yet. Um, what is really potentially cool is if there is a module that if there is a module that will also drop into a Shimano mountain bike pedal because a lot of those spindles are shared uh, across multiple platforms uh, and then the idea of having a dual-sided power meter mountain bike pedal is pretty neat as well especially for the cross-country crowd um, so we don't have any confirmation of this yet um, it seems like it's gonna happen though based on the text 
that has been uncovered on, I think it was on the Favero website or a, a forum somewhere. Um, you know, no idea on pricing or availability or anything like that. Um, but I would be pretty excited if this came about because the idea of having a Shimano SBD SL dual-sided power mirror that would be really easy to transfer back and forth between bikes would be pretty cool. I would be quite disappointed actually because I've just sold most of my Shimano pedals since I made the move to the the Favero's. Um But no, yeah, all, all joking aside, it it uh, it would be cool to see. But yeah, definitely the SBDS or the SBD platform will be compatible with that. I think that is the big remaining question. The sort of the uh what what we've seen so far is a rendering of a SPDSL pedal um and i guess we're just going to have to wait to, to find out i i think they would be silly not to to make it SPD compatible because there are more and more and more people riding SPDs that care about power and by that i mean a lot of the gravel crowd there's a lot of mountain bikers out there who just don't care right there's only a small portion of mountain bikers that are sort of the cross-country power-oriented, you know, paying paying attention to watts type person. There's a lot of gravel riders now on SBDs all the time. I mean, I'm just thinking about here in Boulder, the number of people you see cruising around on SBDs on their gravel bikes and just never ride road pedals anymore, but still are interested in power. They're still doing long days. They're still training for something. I think that, that if they're looking at the market, I think that that makes a lot of sense to have uh, an SBD version. Like, Particularly right and of now, of course, cycle cross as well. Yeah, and cross, cross in the U.S. Not what it once was. Maybe it'll come back someday. <laughs> Gravel is probably the bigger market at this point. Yeah, for uh, sure. And certainly the faster growing market. But either way, yeah, I think that there are more. There are more people on SPDs almost full time now that want power than at any point in SPDs history. So I agree. I, I think that yeah, it, it makes perfect sense to to pull that into the into the SBD world. Yep. So in any event, that is super exciting, and again, another development that we will keep our eyes on. We'll see what we'll see we'll see what comes out of that. Okay. Enough with the news. Regular nerd alert listeners will perhaps have noticed that we we haven't done a what bike should I buy segment in a while, and in all honesty. Much of that has kind of been due to the extreme bike shortages worldwide due to the COVID pandemic. And that's not because production is down, but rather because demand is really, really high. What bike should you buy? Literally any bike you can possibly get. Just yeah. go for it. <laughs> so we, I mean, we have basically joked internally that we should just rename the segment. What bike can I get? Because that's pretty much what you're looking at right now. Nevertheless, we got a really good what bike should I buy question this week. And I think it's time we bring it back at least for today. So, listener Ryan Beiermeister, my apologies if I'm butchering your name, uh, writes in, he's wondering if you could help in a bike decision. Basically, he's trying to choose a one bike for everything, for fast road riding, something good for long days in the saddle on gravel roads, and the occasional short, clean section on single track. He currently has a Cervelo Aspero, thinks it's a pretty nice ride, but he's wondering if he would get the same amount of speed and snappiness in something like the new S-Works Diverge, the 3T Explorer Race Max, or even the Mosaic GT1. Hmm, interesting. Who wants to go first on this one? Well, so based off of the bikes he's mentioned, I'm going to guess that the uh, the budget is on the higher end here. Uh, I think a... Mosaic GT1 frame set at full retail is something in the neighborhood of five or six thousand dollars. It's a lot. Uh, it's a lot. Uh, which they're they're fantastic bikes. Uh, I have a mosaic myself, and I absolutely adore it. I have the road. I have a road bike, um, SNS coupled road bike. So given that, I think that you know we could we could kind of ignore budget a little bit and, and just say you know basically the high end version of whatever bike we're talking about. Um, I personally, if he's mentioned the mosaic and that is within budget, I I I, I struggle to really point him in any other direction because it's such a good bike. It's going to be a special bike. It's going to be a bike that you know is for you. It's the whole custom tie thing. Uh, you know if 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 the financials are not an issue <laughs> on this on this front, I think you'll be super, super happy with that bike and it will be something unique and something that likely you're the only one, unless you live here in Boulder where everyone has a mosaic, uh, you're probably the only person 
in your riding crew that has one. Uh, and there's something cool about that. And combine that with the fact that, yeah, I think it's just a fantastic, super versatile, very fun bike. That that would be my, I think that's the direction I would point them in. Yeah, and I guess I'm in the somewhat unique position among the three of us that I have spent a quite a decent amount of time on all of those bikes aside from the Mosaic. Um, I mean, that, that Aspero, I, I characterized that bike as sort of like the, like a gravel bike for roadies. It's, it's quite a stiff ride. Um, it, it is fast. Uh, it's reasonably light. I think the frame weight's like, I don't know, right around a thousand grams or something like that. Um, and the handling is quite quick. Uh, and despite all that, the tire clearance is actually pretty good. I mean, you can comfortably get in like a 700 by 42 or something, I think in there. Um, you know, you have that adjustable geometry up front. I mean, for, for a one bike solution, I, I find that it's a really, really cool bike and it, it's a bike I actually considered buying myself with the riding that I do around here. Um, a lot of the stuff around here, it's, yeah, we have a ton of paved roads for sure, but we have a lot of really quite smooth dirt roads. Um, <clears throat> and then certainly, you know, plenty of plenty of single track and you know the a lot of really pretty smooth gravel trails as well um so ryan if you're looking for something that's kind of cervello aspero plus i guess uh, i mean that diverge would certainly be more off-road friendly no question i mean you have that future shock up front you have that super long extended seat post which you know as we said earlier adds a lot to a super comfortable ride there's plenty plenty of tire clearance in that bike um you know that all said i don't know if i would want that future shock front end all the time especially if i want to if it's on a bike that i'd want to use for a fast road ride um because on that bike i mean the 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 little damper thing up top is adjustable but you still can't lock it out um and that may be an issue up front it's also quite heavy um so you know i feel like that bike would be kind of maybe more my preference if i were looking more like a pure gravel bike Ronan, I'll let you go first, but I have more. I actually have more. I have broader thoughts on this that I mm. want to come back to. Uh, no, I, James, you're leaning towards the sort of off-road um, description that he's given and, and what he's looking for. I'm going to lean more towards the fast road uh, section, and I'm actually going to say a Cervelo Caledonia. Um, and bear with me here, just because you know he has said uh, fast road, good for long days on the saddle on gravel roads granted but i'm gonna think of the gravel roads that you guys can enjoy where you are and i can't enjoy here because we don't have them but the the, the caledonia you know it 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 does take up to 34 mil tires which is wider than a cyclocross bike so you, he can definitely tackle a little bit of single track uh it's uh, it's gonna be fast given that it's you know it is an out and out aero bike but it does have that but more of a relaxed uh, geometry to it so you know it's it's it should be fine for for long days in the saddle and personally important to me is that it does take mud guards fenders whatever you want to call them um you know which which is going to be another plus for the type of riding that he's describing here so yeah it might not be uh along the lines of the bikes that he has mentioned um but it's certainly the way i would lean towards it yeah it's tricky because i mean we I feel like we have a lot more options these days as far as like a one bike drop bar solution. Um, and one of the more interesting ones that have come about is that 3T Explorer Race Max that he mentioned. Um, I actually still, I rode that bike quite a bit. It's been a little while now, but uh, it's a review I still have to write up. Um, but that bike is super intriguing because it is a, it's built as sort of like a pretty full on aero drop our bike but with a lot of tire clearance you can fit like a 650b by 2.1 in there um you know i, I rode it with those tires but you know full full mountain bike nommies essentially and then you can also ride like 700 by 35 slicks on super wide aero carbon wheels and the bike is quite fast um and i really really wanted to love that bike but a couple of deal breakers for me on that thing was as much as you can fit like a super fat 650B tire in there, you actually can't fit a very big 700C tire in there. Like I, one of my favorite tires is that 700 by 40 uh, Conti Terra Speed gravel tire. And that tire barely fits in that frame. And if you're marketing a bike as a do-all drop bar kind of gravel fast road bike, whatever, I would want to be able to fit something more than a 700 by 40 
you know, an undersized 700 by 40 micro knob tire. Um, so in that aspect, that would kind of, that, that would kind of rule that one out for me. I, I have two sort of general thoughts on this. And, and the first is that the true quiver killer doesn't actually exist. Nope. Um, and if, and if we're talking in the budget range that I think we're talking in, the other option here is two bicycles <laughs> and you may end up with a better experience with two bicycles than one bicycle because yeah you can get something that is for those fast road rides and something else that is really for off-road for for you know rough gravel and potentially some single track and things like that if you do want to do the one bike solution keep in mind that you can always put smaller tires on but you can't always put bigger tires on so you really do want to start with something that is kind of as big it will fit as much rubber as you ever plan on wanting to run and then you can downsize right yeah there might be some kind of funky gaps in between your tire and your fork this doesn't look the best but realistically it's going to ride just fine and you can get away with it so those are kind of my two broader thoughts i I would genuinely consider two two bikes um you know the the the, the quiver killer is really tempting it never but quite works out that way, though. It never quite works out. Even the multiple wheel sets thing. Who wants to swap? Like, who wants to swap wheel sets all the time? You, you just you end up not doing it. Like, I, I've got bikes that I can do that on, and I end up just leaving a single set of wheels on for months on end because I just I'm not gonna swap rotors and even if I have rotors and everything, I'm just not I'm not even gonna swap the wheels out. It's just a pain in the butt when I'm heading down and grab the bike out of the closet and go for a ride. So I I I do think that you know if if you've got a couple really disparate types of riding that you're planning on doing and you can afford it get a bike for each one that's part of the fun have a have a fast like i've got a fast road bike i've got a gravel bike got a hardtail mountain bike and i've got a big old trail bike basically i've got the spectrum covered Uh, and i think trying to cover too much of that spectrum with a single bike while admirable and while you can get away with it again if we're talking about budget not really being a massive concern here is it is probably not the, the way to get the most performance and and most fun uh yeah that that's that's my my sort of two cents there nonetheless a mosaic gt1 makes a damn fine road bike as well. <laughs> and and so i i'm kind of i'm still leaning that direction of you know it's going to fit plenty of tire you can run let's be honest like a road bike these days is like 30s right uh you could run 30s and be perfectly happy and go fast um the reality is if you're gonna go do a hammerhead lunch ride fast group ride kind of thing you still want a road bike every time i get back on a road bike i'm like oh right road bikes are super fast and they feel different and they're really fun in a very different way and i think that trying to get that out of a out of a gravel bike is is never truly going to happen you can get away with it you can still have fun but it's never going to feel quite the same. Always a compromise. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, of the ones that you listed, Ryan, I would personally probably lean more toward the Mosaic myself. I mean, it is going to be heavier. I mean, a good titanium frame, you're looking at, what, 13, 1400 grams, something like that. Um, it is going to be heavier than your Aspero. Not by a ton. Um, but one thing that's nice is that you can obviously get custom geometry. You can have it handle however you want. Um, it will more likely than not have you know, probably a little bit more tire clearance or at least as much tire clearance as your Aspro. You can have it ride a lot smoother because, again, that Aspro is quite a rough riding bike. Um, that said, I mean, even though used bike prices are just through the roof right now, so you can probably get a pretty good amount of money for your Cervelo at the moment, um, I, I got to say, like, I, I'm kind of on board with Kaylee as far as just having a dedicated bike because not too long ago, I bought a, a cheap aluminum gravel bike and they are super fun. Like, it's kind of heavy, but I don't really care. I really just, I really only cared about the fact that I can fit a lot of tire in there. Um, you know, this this bike, I know when it's all outfitted is something like, it's, it's probably like 19, 20 pounds or something. And I just don't care. I can run a lot, a lot of tire on it. Um, it doesn't I don't matter. have to worry about it. No, it doesn't matter at all. I mean, yes. I mean, would it be faster on a climb if I could have a gravel bike that all all else being equal was like two pounds lighter? Sure. But then it wouldn't be really cheap. And then it'd be, it, I'd, I'd maybe worry about it more. Um, so I think, I, mean, I think super expensive gravel bikes are silly. 
they do seem kind of silly. They do seem kind of silly, uh, which is kind of funny considering you and I both own really quite expensive carbon fiber mountain bikes that we just beat the crap out of, but that's kind of different somehow. Um, so I don't know. I mean, Ryan, I, I'm kind of leaning toward you just sort of keeping that Aspero and you know maybe outfitting it so that it is fast on smooth pavement and smoother gravel and dirt. You know, maybe put like a fast rolling 32 or 34 millimeter tire on it or something like that. And then maybe get, and then whatever budget you were going to set aside to to sell that bike and get another one, maybe get a cheaper gravel bike and, you know, have a set of like really nice 45s on there and then just shred that thing off-road and have a great time on it. I'm on board. Hmm. Running? Yeah, Ronan wanted him him to get a Caledonia. That's not a gravel bike. That's an awesome bike. I feel like you guys have tricked me. The first time I've had to do what bike would you buy, and then you recommend two bikes. It's like, I didn't know. We, we, hey, I they're, remake they're, the rules whenever Ronan, I want. We make we make the rules here. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> I actually remember. I I think I recommended four bikes. Is what I recommended. You need you need, yeah. You need a road bike, a gravel bike, a cross country bike, and a trail bike. And as it turns out, that's what I have as well. Maybe a fat bike. Throw a fat oh, bike in there. Sorry, five. Or six if you count the Urban Arrow too. Tandem, tandem, e-bike commuter. You haven't mentioned time trail bike. No time one trail needs bike a time should, trail bike. Should exist. <laughs> time trail bike should be illegal. <laughs> that, that was business. Mm-hmm. I haven't right. ridden a time trail bike in like at least a decade, and I may never ride one ever again. And I'm super happy about that. <laughs> good, good for you. Good for you. No, no offense to the people out there who are dedicated time trial racers. Good for you as well. Some offense. Some offense. Maybe some. I, I, att- I intend a little bit of offense. Yeah. Mm, okay. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I question their decisions. Anyway, Ryan, those are our thoughts on your "What bike should I buy?" question. Let us know what you think of our advice here, because you you are certainly free to say that our advice is garbage and you are not going to listen to any of it. And you are going to go solicit the advice of someone who knows more than we do, because there are plenty of people out there who fit that character, who fit that description. Anyway, let us know what you think. We'd be really curious to hear what you end up doing. If you end up keeping that bike or getting another one, and just follow up with us if you wouldn't mind. Anyway, in the meantime, that will do it for this week of Nerd Alert. Thanks again for listening as always. And please, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on if you haven't done so already. If you are listening to this on iTunes, please leave us a rating or even better, a review. Best yet, maybe tell your friends about Nerd Alert so that more people can listen to us because we always like having more people listen to us helps us keep the show going if you have an airplane consider sky riding us across the sky and wherever you live that would be that would be much appreciated yes yes any airplane Just, any airplane owners out there hmm, i think i think it's a bit of a stretch gailey bit of a stretch mm. i mean although yeah. stranger things have happened we have quite a quite a diverse audience so who knows this is this is why I'm not in marketing. They, every time I come up with one of these brilliant ideas, I just get shot down. Indeed, indeed. Anyway, thanks again for listening. We will see you next week. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>